Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Atkinson. You know, have you ever wondered what's going on in a decision maker's world? Have you ever wished you could read the minds of the people that hire you? Well, today's podcast should be quite enlightening. We have Lori Pugh Markham from Meeting Professionals International on our show. Welcome, Lori. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you here, and we're going to read your bio here in a second, but tell us a bit about how you landed on the doorsteps of MPI. Was that like a dream job for you? You know, my career has taken some interesting turns over (laughs) 14 years. Uh, If you would have asked me, say, five years ago, if I thought I would be at MPI, I would probably uh, say no. The reason I I say that is uh, my degree is actually in advertising. Okay. And uh, when I finished school, I worked at an agency. And uh, under that PR umbrella, they had me planning a lot of the events. Well, then the crash happened, and a lot of our clients were home builders and restaurants, and you know, a lot of my friends were, were losing their jobs quickly, and I thought, well, you know, I like this whole event gig. I'm, I'm pretty bossy. I think I can handle this. <laughs> See, now I could do the events thing because I'm pretty bossy, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I ended up working at the Regional Chamber of Commerce in Jacksonville doing events, right. and Really got to do some cool things, some uh, events in China and and locally in Jacksonville. And then I, uh, there was a company that we hired to do a lot of our decorating and design work. And I thought, you know what, I want to try my hand at that. And so I worked for a production company, uh, doing everything from uh, staging to audio to decor, furniture coordination, everything. Wow. And learned um, how to call shows and get on the production side of things as well. Um, And then I I tried my hand about uh, two years as a wedding planner at a resort. I want to try the hotel side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I learned pretty quickly. Uh, I was not cut out to do the wedding. (laughs) The mothers of the brides, uh, the mobs were driving you crazy and uh, the, uh, the bridezillas themselves, perhaps. Well, um, we are glad to have you back here in the meetings industry. And I think it's really interesting because you have this knowledge of everything that goes on in a meeting. For instance, why a speaker would never want to run over time is because that is like a domino effect. And there are a million other little pieces of the puzzle that get affected by that, right? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So when I started at MPI, I was really looking at our our show flows and I knew the technical production, but then it really started to think about, you know, how are we going to weave the speakers in? What is what we really call creating the narrative for the event? And every single little thing has to fall in line with that from the narrative. Okay. For everything. That's good. So narrative is kind of where we'll begin, but let me go ahead and read your bio because I think this is really interesting. Um, Lori, uh, now actually you have a new name, Pew Markham, because you just got married. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Has 14 years of experience in the meetings and events industry on both the planner and supplier side of the business. As lead manager, events, programs, and production with Meeting Professionals International, she is responsible for managing meeting and event production 
along with speaker and session management. As part of MPI's global events live portfolio, Lori and her team are responsible for education at conferences such as MPI Smart Monday at IMEX America, um, MPI World Education Congress, MPI Sunshine Education Summit, and MPI European Meetings and Event Conference. That is a lot in your portfolio. Are you just constantly like, is it high drama always because you're just finished one and now starting the next? Or are they overlapping? How does it even work to have so many events on the go? Yeah, I, well, some of them do overlap, but in different stages. So, you know, I try to start early uh, in January for planning for our October IMEX event, just figuring out again what that narrative, the theming is, identifying some speakers. Uh, that's a smaller event for us in terms of the number of people we source. Mm-hmm. But for WEC, we really do um, a lot of uh, chunks in advance. So our planning cycle is about 18 months out from the next WEC. So we kind of have monthly tasks where we know where we need to be. Right. Things pop up and happen. Uh-huh. And yeah. So. Right. So well, let's, let's talk about that from the speaker's standpoint. Mm-hmm. So there are some events that they might be hired over a year in advance. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are, uh, and we're seeing the industry get shorter and shorter timelines right now. So mm-hmm. talk about what, um, might be happening that would have you, what's the shortest time frame you might book a speaker on? Hmm. Well, we have what, what we call rounds. So for WEC, I kind of start with my A-list round uh, choice of speakers. We do a call for proposals and then I reach out to negotiate with them and check availability. And, and some speakers we can, uh, we can afford and some, some we can't. We try to negotiate where we can but um, some speakers we also try to sell sponsorship for. So if there's right. something I want to bring in. So then once I talk to the speaker and they seem interested and I'm, I'm very transparent, you know, I've, I've got to make sure I can get a sponsor. Right. I get it into the, um, the sales kit. Now, sometimes sales kits, they don't necessarily sell until four months prior to the event. So I hate to make a speaker wait on hold and it's only a handful that I have to do that with, but Mm. it's just, but if you're trying to book Simon Sinek, you need some money. And so you're waiting for a sponsor to commit to that money. And that's, is that, is that, do I have that right? So for concurrent education, yes, we do have a set budget for main stage, but you know, even our concurrent sessions have 250 people in them. They're not, they're big. Right. Exactly. So, um, if we, this is particularly the case for workshops. So things that people will sign up for a four, six hour course, um, you know, that's usually additional, uh, a speaker obviously is going to want more money for that and cause us to need a sponsor. Well, this is so fascinating. I'm really happy that we're able to just kind of dig inside of the um, behind the curtain here because I think a lot of speakers have ideas around. I, I bet you any money, most speakers think that MPI doesn't pay their speakers when in fact we're already dissolving that myth. So there are budgets for certain things. There are probably a lot of slots um, that you don't pay for. What don't you pay for? You know, we try to accommodate travel for our concurrent education speakers. Okay. Yeah, that meaning hotel and airfare um, and then full conference registration. But there typically is not a speaker uh, fee paid for that unless we're looking at a workshop. 
Okay. Now, stage, yeah, main stage is a little bit different. Um, Miranda uh, Van Brook on my team, she works on main stage for WEC, and a lot of the speakers that we have are become they connections that our boards have. I mean, we've had Deepak Chopra before. Mm-hmm. I promise you, we, we, don't, we can't afford to pop. So, you know, we leverage our partnerships. Um, and then a lot of times our speakers, and, and they want to get in front of this audience. It's 2,500 meetings, right. essentially. So right. um, there is a lot of demand for people to want to be on um, this stage. Yeah. So gotcha. I get it. I get it. But it doesn't hurt to ask if there's a budget, um, just because there might be one where we don't think automatically that there is. But yes, of course, MPI is huge in terms of getting your message out to a lot of people who could potentially book you. So this is the dream job for the speaker as well. Okay, so let's talk about getting that dream job in a way that is something that is pleasant for all involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're going to... Uh, your first way of finding speakers is likely through relationships and referrals, is it? So we have speakers that have spoken for us in the past and we hold on to that statistical data on satisfaction. Okay. Uh, so we have some of those, but we still go out with a call for proposals. And that's for the main stage too, is it? The call for it proposals? Is. Okay. Correct. Good, mm-hmm. good. Good to know. Okay, so uh, past speakers. And then um, your call for proposals, that really gives anyone a shot, doesn't it? Correct. We, we like to see uh, new people submit a proposal. We put very specific guidelines of what we're looking in that. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is most frustrating, though, is what? that when, what is most frustrating for a person uh, booking speakers mm-hmm. is Ask for very specific. It needs to fall in this theme, or because we have continuing education clock hours, we have to account for. Right. Sometimes we will get submissions about things. I, I got a submission, and I review every single one about how to plan a funeral. <laughs> um, did you read the proposal? Like, hello. Okay. Yeah. So obviously, you want people to read what you've written Mm -hmm. and follow the guidelines. And if they're not a good fit, then don't submit. That's right. How about that for a little tagline? If you're not a good fit, then don't submit. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We had, we had 450 submissions last year and I review all of them and I would a hundred of them to 150 were completely irrelevant to what we were looking for. And it's, it's, It'd be very frustrating. Okay. So let's talk about, um, you're going to look for relevance in terms of fitting your theme and mm-hmm. also very clearly what are the meeting professionals. Now you have to walk both sides of that, don't you? Because you have your supplier members and your meeting professional members. So how do you balance what kind of topics are going to be happy for mm-hmm. both? So we request topics for both sides, uh, planner and supplier. And okay. to be honest with you, a lot, just like myself, um, most people in the meeting and events industry have done both, have worked for a supplier and have been a quote unquote true planner. So um, some sessions can be dual. Some you do want more targeted to certain types of planners or to suppliers. Okay. Um, so it's a good mix. Okay, so what kind of topics might you be looking for, say, on this, you're pouring through, are you pouring mm-hmm. through the proposals right now, these, this 
the ones that you've gotten this year? What yes. kind of, what kind of, what's catching your eye right now? What kind of topics? Just broadly, like, you know. Sure. So one thing that we're very focused on this year, and we've always thought about it before, but um, really diving deep into uh, brain-friendly education. So even if a topic is very dynamic, we really cannot have 60 minutes of straight lecturing. Uh, The brains just aren't wired for that. So we included in our call for proposals, add some best practices and some videos on what we're looking for with typically what it is, is 10 minute, I call chunking it. Mm -hmm. That would be, you know, 10 minutes of perhaps lecture. And then to break that up with either a story about how it would relate or a Q&A or a, um, a group talk and then coming back to the lecture. So like changing it up every 10 minutes, that's, um, so that's what we're talking about in terms of the style of the delivery. But what right. about the actual topics? Like what mm-hmm. topics are yep. catching your attention? So um, most of our planners, when we tell uh, speakers to submit, think that this planner has probably 10 to 15 years in the industry, if not more. So nothing very basic. We would rather have uh, a very in-depth discussion about the topics, but some of the buckets, as we call them, mm-hmm. are uh, career development, okay. corporate social responsibility, okay. CSR, that's the uh, you know food and recycling and uh, yeah. community-based activities, yep. uh, experiential education design, Okay. Leadership and change management, legal and compliance, and not just legal and compliance broad, but as it relates to the meetings industry. Okay. Uh, Project management, safety and security, which is huge in our industry. I mean, most of the attacks you see are taking on or have take place where there's an event going on. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and sales and sales and marketing, uh, strategic planning, technology, and then just trends within our industry. So it feels like that's a really that's a big. Those are a lot of buckets, and so mm-hmm. I suspect that most everybody who's listening in today could probably fit themselves into one of those buckets. Mm-hmm. But the key is for them to show you in the proposal how it's a match for MPI, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. And- Definitely how it would relate to them. So let me give you an example. Um, You know, let's say change management or um, in specifically like when a hotel would uh, brand with another hotel and Mm -hmm. that affects the industry or safety and security, uh, cybersecurity at events or registration. And so it, it really needs to be focused in on, Really specific. Okay. Exactly. And then for your big main stages, do you do more 10,000 foot looks at, you know, change in general and then how that affects our industry, but maybe not so micro, a little bit more mm-hmm. macro or? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we had, um, and typically, well, last year, our general sessions were only 45 minutes long. Love then, that. Yes. And there was one in the morning and one at the end of the day. So you could kind of bookend what you were, I had learned. And we had Mel Robbins as speakers. And so she spoke, and I think it was only maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then she did a class, a longer class later in the day. So 
you know, if it wasn't your cup of tea, you didn't have to attend the longer session. Or- right. I bet it was standing room only because did she do the five second rule? Yes. It, oh was, my it was standing room only. She was fabulous. So good. So good. And, you know, I saw her speak at NSA a few years ago and she didn't have the five second rule yet. What a difference having that level. And one of the things I talk to my clients about is picking a lane. Well, that lane has been a lane paved in gold for Mel Robbins yes. because it gave her that much more clarity and it gave her message that much more impact. Like so mm-hmm. good, right? Such Absolutely. an easy idea, but so good. And you could apply that to anything. Your yeah. and then And then of course, any of these topics really. Yeah. So it was relatable. Uh, we've also had more inspirational stories on mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Liz, I can't think of her last name, but she, uh, homeless to Harvard, she spoke as well. Uh, it's, a, you see some of the bigger, nice. air, but some, some more inspirational takeaways. Yeah. So maybe kind of more motivation slash inspiration on those bookenders and then deeper dives in the, in the middle, right? Correct. And this year we're focusing on shared experiences. So you'll see a lot more, um, uh, engagement design and, and in our main stage selections of speakers. Oh, very cool. So would you say, so you said 45 minutes, would you say though that, um, keynotes are getting shorter and shorter because of Ted talks? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody loves a nice quick message, right? Yes. A lot of times we'll have those three, uh, Ted talk, we call them flashpoint speakers that will for um, 15 or 10 to 15 minutes. Now that we've gone uh, down to a little bit of a smaller general sessions, we may only have one to two, but yes, just shorter, sweet, quick takeaways. And then we usually book them for a masterclass is what we call it later that day. Love it. I love it. And, And that's an idea that I think all speakers should be pitching anyway is I can come up and tee this, tee up this idea in a keynote for whatever length of time. And then I can do a deep dive later. That really shows a lot of value from a speaker for you. Does it not? Absolutely. Uh, and even post event, uh, for instance, Mel, I think she put her website name up there. People could go and select, but she sends these weekly, uh, emails or follow-up notes and it just helps to continue that message through the year. So they really feel that they've made a relationship or, you know, with some, a speaker they're more tied to it. Awesome. And of course, who wouldn't want to send a weekly email to all of these people who are <laughs> planning meetings for it? There's a reason why she's the most, uh, the, one of the busiest speakers in the world. Okay. Right. Question for you. Um, your day, I'm thinking about how often, you know, the minute I said I worked for a speakers bureau and mm-hmm. I used to actually book speakers for the AMA when I lived in Dallas as well you know, it just was like a deluge. Whoosh, people just wished you. So talk a little bit about what your day might look like in terms of communication with speakers. Is it mm-hmm. like how many voicemails might you get? How many emails might you get in a day? Just, mm-hmm. I want people to understand what it feels like to sit in your shoes. Sit in so your chair. <laughs> I would say we get, or our department, I would say, gets probably five to 10 a day. There's a standard uh, email that we reply to them because to keep up with all the submissions or email inquiries we get, there we tell them what the process is to get on the list so that when we do have call for proposals, they'll be notified of that. Good. So, um, yeah, so we they create account 
uh, on our MPI website. They don't, you don't have to be a member for that. It's just for a way for us to flag your account. Uh, and then a lot of times I just have to tell them, Hey, our call for proposals is close for this event. Yeah. We'd love to work with you in the future. Um, one thing that's very, very important, and I just don't see how speakers would get business without this, but I will ask to see a video. Let's just say it's a great session description, and I want to see a video of them speaking, and they don't have any videos. Because yes, so no video is a deal breaker for you. Yes. It's okay. a deal breaker, for sure. Okay. And it doesn't have to be on their topic. I mean, what we find is anybody can write a great description, but can can they be dynamic on stage? So even if it's just five five to 10 minutes on a different topic, it, it still helps. Okay. So any kind of video would help you see, you just want to see that they can hold their own on the stage. Absolutely. And does it matter for you if you're hiring main stage, do you want to see them on a big stage or would you be okay with seeing them in a, a small um, training room? You know, I'm personally not opposed to seeing it in a small training room also. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Video is so much more important. A lot of times people will send over a long laundry list of um, recommendations that have come from people, but I don't know if that's from their cousin Susan. Or <laughs> so video is more important. All right. So video is key. That's really good. Okay. So you're getting five to 10 emails a day about mm -hmm. this. What about your phone? Is your phone ringing a lot? Yeah. Does that calm down some? Yeah, it's calmed down. I would say um, maybe once or twice a week, which isn't bad at all. Okay. I see a lot of random messages on LinkedIn, and that's and I get that's where you put some stuff. But that when I'm looking for a speaker, that's not where I go. Okay, that's interesting to know yes. because I think a lot of people who are focused on business topics, they probably are spending some time on LinkedIn. And I know people are getting booked from LinkedIn, but you're saying that that doesn't necessarily work for you. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Because um, sometimes the caliber of what I'm seeing is not with a lot of experience. Uh, I, we also have a partnership with eSpeakers. Mm -hmm. so I do look on the eSpeakers website. And in fact, I work with, uh, the president there to send out a customized email. Uh, that's how I got your email. And that's how this whole thing came about. Cause Joe yeah. and I, uh, Joe and Dave and I have been buddies now for years. I love your saying that because, um, a lot of people have eSpeakers memberships and are thinking that, you know, what's eSpeakers done for me lately. So I love that you're saying that you could find somebody there and, and, uh, have you gone out if you, okay. Let me ask you this. If you are searching for a particular topic that has not come to you, mm -hmm. where will you, what will be your first, second, and third way of looking for someone? Mm -hmm. So I do look on eSpeakers, okay. one of the main ones. Right. We work with a host committee in the city that we are putting on the conference. So for instance, WEC is in Toronto this year. So I, we have committees. Woohoo. That's my backyard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We have. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I went on a site visit and just absolutely love it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's been great. And then we'll reach out to the committee, uh, the host committee, to see if they have local recommendations. Oh, we good. Like to showcase, well, for two reasons. We want to give the flair of the city that we're going to. I mean, they've made a financial investment to bring this conference there, mm -hmm. showcase it as much as possible. And then um, travel costs as well, you know, if you're – it's hard to fly someone from South Florida, you know, uh, 
Um, it makes more sense to do you if you can uh, cut back on your travel. Where are you having your event in Toronto? It, at the convention center there. Okay, beautiful. Well, I'm very excited for you, and I hope that some of my local um, clients and compadres around there will get uh, booked to do that. That's really exciting news. So um, what is something that a speaker might do to just really turn you off? Emailing me multiple times if they don't hear back in a day. I do try to answer all my emails in 24 hours, but if you email and call and then wait three hours and email again, then it's usually, you know, delete. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then of course, you know, a lot of times and we look, I, I understand speakers have businesses to run. I completely get that. Mm-hmm. And very honest and transparent about what we can do in terms of reimbursement and travel. And, and most people are very nice and they understand. And then some people are not, not so happy with it. Uh, I wish, I wish I could give every speaker a hundred thousand dollars each time they speak, but you know, you just can't. For for sure. You have, you have uh, budgets. So do you guys ever use speakers bureaus as a part of your planning process? Uh, For the main stage? Yes, we will. Speaker bureaus. We have some relationships with, with some that just really continue to understand what it is we're looking for. And um, so, and we'll bring someone that's a good fit. What is infuriating? uh, And I, I can't say that I I deal with this too often, but when you're very clear with the speaker bureau about what budget you have, and then they send you all these fabulous, fabulous suggestions and said, Oh yeah, see if they're available. And then they're like, Oh, by the way, it's three times your budget. That's like the property brothers, you know, they take you through the beautiful house and then they say, you can't afford this house. (laughs) What's the point, right? I hear you. Okay. So um, if you are a bureau and you're listening to this, send budget worthy items that, uh, that really makes sense. And, and don't expect that the speaker's going to negotiate the budget. If they're a $30,000 speaker, that's what their day is worth. So why would they negotiate? Although I think they might for MPI. <laughs> that's probably, uh, that's probably something that they should be thinking about. Okay. So for, let's say for speakers who are just starting out, um, they're, they may not be ready to apply for you just yet. What we want to say is that they probably need a video and a good solid mm-hmm. video before they could be contenders. Yeah. And um, what other words might you say of encouragement to them? You've probably seen mm-hmm. lots of speakers who not a lot of people knew, and, and one thing can just really change everything for them, can't mm-hmm. um, So really, I don't want to say using buzzwords in the description, but really crafting that description. Don't just say, here's my website. Here's what I speak on Mm. because it's just too broad for what we're looking for. So if they could take that description and, and say, uh, I don't know, leadership as it would relates to managing an event team, Mm -hmm. really scripting that now don't script it for me in a description and then you get on site and And do something else. Exactly. Same old, same old. And in terms of being an expert versus a generalist, which uh, is more appealing to you? So um, we have a lot of people within our industry that are members that have 20, 25 years and we, a lot of times, look for them. We look for industry experts sometimes versus um, professional speakers, only if it's very, you know, niche of what they're looking for. Okay. Um, 
and and it's something that's more facilitation versus um, you know just a straight type keynote. Uh, so those would be the difference of what we're looking for there. Uh, it varies. It's not to say that. It, well, one of the best speakers that I think I've I've worked with, and I think I got him from eSpeakers. Uh, his name is David Averin, and <laughs> he's my know, buddy. All right. <laughs> yeah. Shout but, out to David Averin. He's fabulous. And he really. Um, he. I don't think he was that familiar with our industry, but he was able to craft it. He gets fabulous scores and very easy to work with. And but he he really made an effort to get to know our audience and to think about how it related to them, which was very very important. You know what? Okay, that really leads us in a direction of the whole customization effort. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you'll do what David Averin did and really get to know the audience. And and we talk a lot over here about making it about them and not you, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that is quite appealing. Um, What are some other things that a speaker might do on site that you think are either great or not great? We've already talked about going over time. That's a big no-no, right? Right, right, absolutely. Just because as a planner, you have a a tight turnaround. Coming from the production AV world as well, we used to have only 15-minute turns in between sessions. And when I came on board, it's you got to have 30 minutes because you got to have the next speaker check in and yada, yada. So yes, on on time. I do an hour long coaching call, probably I would say 30 to 45 days prior to the event mm-hmm. over all details. One-on-one? One-on-one. Wow. That's a lot of speakers. Yeah. Well, that's- I have a great team. It's not just me, but yeah. Okay, good. Yes. And to go through again, the audience demographic, um, to talk about what their AV needs are. But if, if I have that call with you and we go through AV needs and then you get on site and you ask for more stuff. Yeah. That's going to cost you money. Yeah. Right. Okay. That can be tough. Okay. So no last minute changes, mm-hmm. good customization. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't go over time. Um, what else? What else is important to you? Uh, I, I would say for, for me on site is when a speaker it has a very calm feel about them because mm. there's that are just chaos on site. And when you see a speaker kind of anxious about um, certain things that you know you've gone over, it, right. it just a little nervous. They get anxious and they kind of yell at the AV tech. That makes me nervous. <laughs> mm, okay, that's really good because really our goal is to be the person who walks into it cool as a cucumber. I'm a professional. I've done this before. And sure, there's whirling dervishes going on all around us, Mm -hmm. but we're kind of calm in the center of the storm. So that makes you feel better because that translates to how they're going to perform on stage. Right, right. Absolutely. And then we are also working to, um, you know, help our speakers in terms of providing a confidence monitor. I was teaching a, a, a class and the way the room was set up, I couldn't see the slide on the screen. And I thought, Oh man, I'm really, you know, standing in someone else's shoes right now. It would be so much better if I had this confidence monitor. So and you know what? The bigger, the better. Those <sighs> things are the best things since sliced mm-hmm. bread. They really are. And also the big timing is right next to that, right? 
Exactly. So there's no reason for you to go over because you can see your time. Does it, and it counts backwards and, and then you're mm -hmm. at zero. So that's yeah. maybe a little unnerving, but it's there. And then your own screen. So there's no need to turn your back to the audience and look at the screen because it should be right before you. Right. In a good production, let's say. Exactly. So we've been trying to allocate funds to, to make the experience really good for the speaker as well, because I can tell you, if I've spent all year, um, you know, sourcing for this event, and it's a large part of my review, it could crash and burn if, if, if there's a kind of choke moment for the speaker. So whatever I can do to accommodate yeah. Yeah. And technical issues and things like that. I mean, I bet your team is just so on it that they're, mm -hmm. they're probably few and far between. What could somebody say from the platform that could really annoy your membership? Uh, we have a very global audience. So if the mention of politics mm -hmm. just really, really throws me for a loop. Um, nobody just don't even go there. No, no. There were luckily, uh, well, at an event we had uh, keynote speakers, and one day, um, well, the speaker didn't send me their presentation in advance like I had asked. And I get it, you're updating things the last minute, but uh, you know, at least a couple days before, yeah, or the day before. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I was able to review that presentation before we went on stage, and there was very inappropriate political cartoons on his slides. Okay, so that's why you want to have a look at them because you're just mm -hmm. going to make sure that things are vetted. Yeah. Okay, final question. Do you find that there is an equal number of, I mean, your membership is probably even more balanced for female than male, is it mm -hmm. not? And so how do you, um, do you have any trouble finding strong female business speakers or strong fe a strong female speaker at the caliber that you're after for the main stage? Main stage is a little bit harder for me to speak to. Um, well, for, for IMEX, I do book main stage. And um, I usually don't have a hard time finding. I think it's just because our industry is actually more female than male. I think, I don't know the latest stats, but I think it's either 70-30 or 60-40. Um, but diversity as a whole not just necessarily male and female. Um, and I, it, I do see a, a disparity and really a diversity for our call for proposals because we want to have a very diverse uh, group of speakers. It's just sometimes hard for us to find uh, submissions overall. And it, and it may be where we're looking. It may be the call for proposals isn't reaching the right people and we need to send other places. Um, but it is very, it is something that MPI, we're continually looking at. Okay. Uh, even this year, we, we put some new measurements in place uh, to really be making sure that our we have a diverse audience. And okay. Audience, but also speakers. So. I can imagine like 20 years ago, it was probably a lot of middle-aged white guys. No offense to middle-aged white guys, but it probably was. And so I have seen things evolve. And back then, when I was with the Bureau, people would often say, you know, I'm having a hard time finding this caliber mm -hmm. of speaker. But I think they're much, much, much more plentiful mm -hmm. now, um, both on the diversity side and on the gender side. So that's really good that... Um, to hear you say that it's definitely a consciousness and you're mm -hmm. moving more and more in that direction. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Lori, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for letting us inside the inner 
machinations of MPI <laughs> and what's going on over there. Um, is there any final words that you might have for people who might want to apply for um, next year? When are you going to be putting yeah. out the next call for proposals? We typically will put those out in September and they'll stay open to the end of October. Um, best advice is if you don't get picked one year, don't stop applying. It may just not have been a fit. We always try to have a certain percentage of at least new speakers each year and kind of cycle through. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't give up. Keep submitting. I like to use the reference of the book back when I was dating. He's just not that into you. Like, don't take it personally. <laughs> it's just not a fit this time, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, wealthy speaker listeners, if you have enjoyed our podcast today, please give us a review on uh, wherever you're listening, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And um, let us know. Make sure you subscribe and let us know that you're enjoying these podcasts. And for that, we will say, see you later. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free Wealthy Speaker audit and visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, Wealthy Speakers.